The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are going to discuss today how global businesses discharge their social responsibility. We have two cohorts of Oxford with Mr. J.R. Klein as the guest discussing how global businesses identify the opportunities and contribute their share of social causes. And... uh, let me uh, give you a brief, brief background of JR. JR is the principal of JR Global LLC, a consulting firm dedicated to facilitating global transformation through local initiatives that strengthen markets by addressing barriers to access by local residents. His <clears throat> focus is uh, on facilitating systemic change in the areas of water, energy, education, and health. He also serves as the CEO Emeritus of Finance Fund in Ohio, USA. It's a statewide social impact community development financial institution. It moves public and private capital into low-income communities to improve the quality of life of people. JR specializes in revival of local communities by centering on visionary leadership, attractive business climates, strengthening the workforce, and public-private collaboration. JR's expertise is in organizational management and leadership, strategic planning, and cultural integration, and he is recognized worldwide for his efforts. Welcome, JR. Well, thank you, Mahesh. Uh, It's good to be with you again. Uh, I look forward to uh, an interesting and engaging discussion and uh, uh, I think that uh, it's one that is also very poignant. Wonderful. JR, uh, nowadays uh, there's a lot of discussion amongst the businesses and the financial institutions and NGOs and everybody about impact investing, including the academics. They talk a lot about impact in, in investing in inclusive capitalism. Can you share with our listeners what is inclusive capitalism? Uh, That's a very good question and and, uh, your your points are well taken. It's a very hot topic these days. Uh, uh, Not necessarily a new topic, but uh, but it is uh, the focus of a lot of discussions both in academic circles 
uh, and in development circles uh, around the world. One of my latest uh, examples of that is a, a report that was published by the uh, Oxford Side uh, Business School uh, called In Pursuit of Inclusive Capitalism, Business and Approaches to Systemic Change. Uh, it, it actually opens up one of its sections with a very interesting little quote that I want to share with you uh, that actually brings us to kind of the starting point uh, of this discussion, that the role that businesses play in society and the expectations about the role it should play has shifted dramatically in recent years. Called to a higher purpose or sensing that externalities can only be ignored at their peril, many businesses are increasingly open to the notion that they have a responsibility for creating more inclusive economic systems. Now, this is a this is this is really an indicator of a, a very uh, a long and and rigorous um, a set of research that uh, the, this group did, and they're really not alone. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start from there to begin to talk about inclusive capitalism. And again, as I start all the time, I want to I want to make sure you understand that that my my comments are all sort of a result of of imitation, imagination, uh, and uh, and uh, uh, invitation <laughs> uh, that that uh, that I'm I'm relying on a lot of very good thinkers and and primary players in this whole environment. So my definition of inclusive capitalism is much more than a, a very easy set of statements. It's much more complex. Something that really doesn't fit well into casual conversation. Oh, nice. Okay. And it's great that uh, you're collecting information from all over and condensing into a, a very nice way to share with our listeners. Well, well, we'll leave that to your listeners to decide whether it's a nice way or not. But, but uh, what, you, what you see is what you get. Uh, uh, there's a lot of, uh, of interesting thinking going on in this realm, uh, not the least of which you know, comes out of our alma mater, uh, the Oxford uh, report uh, a statement uh, hints at a, 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 an underlying issue highlighted by uh, Eric Beinacher and uh, Nick Hanauer in a Harvard Business Review article in 2014. Now, uh, uh, Mr. Beinacher is actually professor, I believe, a professor at the Oxford uh, Martin School uh, that is one of the uh, sort of leading research uh, uh, um, um, places in in the world. Now, here's what he says. Here's here's what they talk about. He says capitalism is under attack. Now, how's that as a good start? Statement? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he said the, the the financial crisis in 2008 and the stagnation of the middle class and in many developing countries or in developed countries uh, and the rising income equality are challenging some of the most deep held beliefs about how a fair and well-functioning society should be organized. 
Okay, now that's a pretty that's a pretty dramatic statement, uh, and he and he really bases bases that on the the idea that the dominant economic paradigm, the the the, the neoclassical economics, has painted a narrow and and mechanical view of how capitalism works. Focusing on the role of markets and 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 prices in an efficient allocation uh, uh, of society's resources. Now, that classical theory over the past several decades uh, has has some of those bedrock assumptions being challenged uh, and even unraveled. You know, there's. The behavioral eco- economics or economists, excuse me, have accumulated a mountain of evidence showing that real humans don't behave as a rational Homo economicus uh, would. Uh-huh. Uh, the the en- environmental economists have have raised awkward questions about the very essence of utility and and have. And 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 that is uh, problematic because it has uh, long been the device the economists use to show that markets maximize social welfare. Empirical economists have have uh, identified anomalies suggesting that financial markets aren't always efficient, and that microeconomic models or, or macro I'm sorry macroeconomic models. Uh, built on neoclassical ideas, perform very poorly in uh, financial uh, crisis. You know, it, that, that's that's those are those are those are um, uh, uh, harsh statements uh, for somebody that really holds a neoclassical view. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. And and, and that in that view uh, that uh, economy uh, is a a constantly evolving, uh, interacting. Network of highly diverse households and firms, backgrounds, regulators, and other agents. Uh, Beinacher believes that the economy, a, a complex, dynamic, open, nonlinear system, is uh, has more in common with an ecosystem than with the mechanical system of the neoclassical model. Yeah, because the, the the ecosystem can create a cyclical behavior also. That's how economies can go up and down in some regions or global together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the, 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 the implications of this sort of emerging view uh-huh. are only uh, really beginning to be explored. Uh, you know, to uh, it, it shifts uh, uh, perspectives on how and why markets work from their allocation efficiency to their effectiveness in promoting creativity uh-huh uh, which which it which is is a marked difference it suggests that that markets are evolutionary systems that can each day carry out millions of simultaneous experiments on ways to make our lives better in other words, the essential role of capitalism is not allocation; uh-huh. it is it is creation. Yeah, and, and there you go. Okay, so uh, we have to then, uh, you know, our reason through this and ask ourselves: life life isn't 
drastically better for billions of people today than it was in 1800 because we are allocating the resources of the 19th century economy more efficiently. Rather, rather it's better because we have life-saving antibiotics and indoor plumbing and, and motorized transportation and access to vast amounts of information and an enormous number of technological and social innovations that have that have become available to much, if not all, of the world's population. I think you're absolutely right here because, you know, all these, uh, if I look at applied to human beings, the life-saving piece and the medical help and biotechnology and all, it has extended our lifespan and it has... Uh, given a solution for uh, if we have uh, a pain because of any reason, simple thing like that in our body. It can be controlled, it can be cured. And also, the rest of uh, the innovations have allowed us to live our life more comfortably. You know, instead of a bullet cart, you're going in a transport, which has shock absorbers. <laughs> you're going you're, with an easy ride. Yeah. Uh, so, so they have changed the way we live life, and I would put it this way, that that has also taken away uh, exercise from my day-to-day life, with transportation yeah. and everything. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so we can from that really say that the genius of capitalism is that it both creates incentive to for solving human problems and right. makes and makes those solutions widely available. Okay. Uh huh. And, and, and it is solutions to human problems that really defines prosperity and listen and not money. And that and, is very, you, you bring in a solid point because there is clearly a difference. Money may not give you prosperity. You can yep, have, yep, yep. you know, in a simple village, if, if you, you are, you have money, but you do not have, uh, the facilities uh, which you can avail even by paying, uh, the money is worth nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, so most of us uh, intuitively believe that the more money people have, the more prosperous a society must be. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but but the idea that prosperity is simply about having money can be disproved with a simple thought experiment. Compliments of our friends, uh, Professor Beinacher and Hanauer. Okay. So, here it is. Imagine uh, you have the 38,001 uh, income of uh, of a typical American, but you live among the Yanomami people, uh, an isolated uh, hunter-gatherer tribe deep in the Brazilian rainforest. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, you you'd you'd easily be the richest of the Yanomami. Uh, because they don't use money, but anthropologists estimate that their standard of living is something around $90 a year. Uh, But you'd still feel a lot poorer than the average American, even even after you fixed up your your hut, uh, you bought the sort of the best baskets in the village, you've eaten the finest Yanomami cuisine, uh, all of your richest still wouldn't get you antibiotics or air conditioning or a comfortable bed. And even even the poorest Americans typically have access 
to these important elements of well-being. Okay? Right, right, right. Yeah, so with that little that little experiment here, uh, yeah, we could we could reason that this is why prosperity in human society can't be properly understood by looking just at monetary measures such as income or wealth. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. Uh-huh. Prosperity in in a society is the accumulation of solutions to human problems. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that again. That's a very important statement. I think. Prosperity in society is the accumulation of solutions to human problems. The, the measurement of wealth of a society is the range of human problems it has solved and how available it has made those solutions to its people. That's a great point because you can have money, but you are not able to solve the human problems. There's no innovation. Well, what do you do? You can't eat money to take care of the pain you are feeling or the problem you have. Or you can't throw just the money at it. You need the solution to the human problem. Well, JR, great. We are having a, a, a great uh, intellectual discussion on this subject. Let me take a short break. Uh, then we'll be, uh, be discussing it further. We'll continue after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Global Business uh, with Mahesh Joshi. We have with us JR and we are discussing about the inclusive capitalism in global business. JR, very good insights which you provided in first segment. Let's continue on. What is inclusive capitalism? And, and so, so here we are. Uh, we're, we're into this discussion uh, that seems to uh, uh, sort of take us almost down a rabbit hole and I, I, I I plead with you to stay with me because we're actually going to come out the other side, okay? Perfect. So, we, so we, we're talking about wealth or, or prosperity, excuse me, and, and how prosperity is the sort of accumulation of, of uh, solutions to human problems. But what we're really kind of talking about here is how, how, do, we, how do we judge that? We, uh, for example, in growth, we typically talk about growth in terms of GDP, gross uh, gross domestic product, um, there, there there have been a variety of attempts uh, to make GDP 
account for such things as as environmental damage or underpaid or unpaid workers, uh, the progress of technology or the development of human capital. Now, Beinacher, uh, Beinacher's view, uh, in his view, that the, the biggest uh, problem with GDP is that it doesn't necessarily reflect how growth changes the real life experiences of most people. Okay, so right. in the in the United States, for example, GDP has has more than tripled over the last three decades. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, although those increases have been concentrated at the top of the economic or at the income spectrum, people across the board have uh, benefited from improvements in technology, say safer cars or new medical treatment or smartphones. Other changes, though, have been accomplished by unintended consequences. Uh, and, and so uh, things like uh, um, uh, the stress that knowledge workers feel from their sort of 24-7 connectivity. That's is a good point. Yeah, is, is life actually better or worse for most people? Okay. Aha. Uh-huh. Because now, yeah, you're right. You yeah. are always connected with your workplace. You're never disconnected. And if you are at workplace, you are connected with uh, rest of your life connections because yeah, right. you are easily accessible. People nowadays, uh, with the technology, can know your location where you are. Yeah, so, so this is this is sort of like the unintended consequences. If if the if the concept of growth uh, is to have significance, it it should represent improvements in in life experience and and if real measure of social prosperity is the availability of solutions to human problems growth cannot simply be measured by changes in gdp rather it must be measured by it must be a measure of of the rate at which new solutions to human problems become available all right uh-huh okay so so growth is best thought of as an increase in the quality and availability of solutions to human problems you follow that logic i do okay. that's okay. a good point uh, okay so uh, so then if prosperity is created by solving human problems a key question for society then then now stay with me because now here's the next big jump. The, the key question for society is what kind of economic system will solve the most problems for the most people most quickly? Okay? Uh-huh. So there's the question. And this, may I suggest, is is the genius of capitalism. Okay? It is it is an unmatched evolutionary system for finding solutions. That is true, because capitalism has forced that. It has rewarded innovation. Well, yeah, finding new solutions to human problems is, uh, is rarely easy or obvious. Yeah. Uh, uh, if, if it was, uh, we'd, we've had already found them, I would think. Uh, if, for, for example, what, what is the optimal way to solve the human uh, the problem of human powered transportation okay 
human-powered uh-huh. transportation. Well, there's there's a multitude of options. There's bicycles and tricycles and unicycles and scooters and so on. Human human creativity develops a variety of ways to solve such problems, but some inevitably work better than others, and we need a process of sorting the wheat from the chaff. We also need a process that makes for making good solutions widely available, all right? So now that means that we need to figure out a way to be able to sort through all this stuff. Capitalism, now, remember, here's some concepts that we already talked about, is a mechanism by which these processes occur. Uh, It provides incentives for millions of problem-solving experiences, experiments to, to... to occur every day. It provides a competition to select the best solutions and provides incentive and mechanisms for scaling up and making the best solutions available. Meanwhile, it scales down or eliminates less successful uh, uh, solutions. Every business is based on an idea about how to solve problems. Yeah, you and I have had some very interesting discussions about that. Businesses are about solving problems. Right. The, pro- the, the process of converting great ideas into products and services that effectively fulfill fast-changing human needs is what defines most businesses. Okay. Thus, thus the, the crucial contribution of business, uh, the crucial contribution business makes to society is transforming ideas into products and services that solve problems. Right, right. And that's the purpose of it. Yes. So, So a reorientation toward seeing business as a society problem solver rather than a simple vehicle for creating shareholder return would provide a better description of what businesses actually do. Uh huh. It, it could help executives better understand or better uh, balance uh, the uh, the interest of multiple stakeholders they they need to manage. It could it could also help shift incentives back toward long term investments. And after all, you know, uh, for complex human problems, not very many of them can be solved in one quarter. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. In, in capitalism, yeah. and especially yeah, yeah. The, the stock market reward on your quarterly results. Exactly. So, this is this is not to say that that shareholders or owners are unimportant, but providing them with a return that is competitive compared to what the alternative is in a boundary condition as a boundary condition to success of the business it is it's not the purpose of the business okay so what i'm basically saying is that the profit the return is not actually the purpose of the business after all uh, you know uh, having enough food is a boundary condition of life but the purpose of life is more than just eating perfect yes you are absolutely right So, traditional economic theory holds that markets are efficient, inherently maximizing 
welfare and work best when managed least. Okay. Uh huh. So that's 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 traditional, but such markets don't seem to really exist in the real world. Mm -hmm. So furthermore, uh, this view fails to recognize that the great genius of capitalism solving solving people's problems has a dark side to it. Okay. Uh huh. The solutions of one person's problems can create problems for someone else. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. It it can be challenging to distinguish between problem solving and problem creating economic activity. Yeah, yeah. it's like automobile. You may be getting a ride in one one part of the world, even in the same part of the world, you, you're getting a comfortable ride, but you're doing global warming. You may be harming something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, who, who has the sort of the moral right to decide? Right. You know, so I, I, along with a host of others, suggest that the, the tool here is democracy. Democracy is the best mechanisms human have, humans have come up with uh, for navigating the trade-offs and the weaknesses inherent in capitalism. Okay? Now, uh, a democracy is allowed for inevitable conflict to be resolved in a way that maximizes fairness and legitimacy and that broadly reflects society's view. Seeing prosperity as solutions helps explain why democracy is so highly correlated to prosperity. Okay? So let me say that again for you. Seeing mm -hmm. prosperity as solutions helps explain why democracy is such a highly correlated, is so highly correlated with prosperity. Okay? Uh -huh. so, uh, democracies actually help create prosperity because they do several things better than any other systems of government. They, they tend to build economies that are more inclusive, enabling more citizens uh, to be both creators uh, of solutions or consumers of other people's solutions. Uh, they offer the best way to resolve conflict over uh, whether economic activity is generating problems or solutions. Many uh, uh, though uh, not all government regulations are, are are created to do just that to to encourage economic activity that solves problem and discourage economic activities that create uh, that create them, thus fostering trust and cooperation in a society. Well, that's a very important point. I'm um, so that's where comes the inclusiveness. You know, yeah, capitalism is good, but along with that, if you're inclusive is inclusiveness, which is coming through democracy, uh, it makes things happen. JR, great discussion. We'll continue uh, with our discussion after a short break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Uh, we are with us, JR, and we are having a very exciting discussion about the inclusive capitalism in global business. Uh, thank you, JR, for sharing the last two segments, uh, some very nice information. Uh, let's continue. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mahesh. Uh, and, and as I said at the beginning, you know, this this is really we're digging into this stuff and uh, and hearing sort of the best take on this by a lot of very very brilliant minds. Uh, so we got Perfect. done uh, really talking uh, uh, about a little bit about capitalism as being the mechanism, the best mechanism uh for uh, the 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 balance of uh, creation uh, creating and problem solving and that the way to vet that out is really through uh uh, through a democratic process. Uh, once we understand that that the solutions capitalism produces are what create real prosperity in people's lives, and that the rate at which we create solutions is true economic growth. That's pretty profound. Yeah, you got that. Then, then it becomes obvious that entrepreneurs. And business leaders bear the major part of both the credit and the responsibility for creating social prosperity. Uh-huh. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, the, the, the standard measurement of businesses' contribution, profit, uh, rate of growth, value share, all of that, are, are, are poor proxies, really. Uh, businesses Contrib, contrib, I'm sorry, let me start that again because my tongue is getting in the way of my mind. <laughs> Businesses com, uh, contribute to society uh, by creating and making available products and services that improve people's lives in tangible ways while simultaneously providing employment that enables people to afford the products and services of other businesses. It's a sound basic and it is basic but our economic theories and metrics don't frame things this way today our culture celebrates money and wealth as the benchmarks of success and this has been has been reinforced by our prevailing uh, uh, economic theories suppose that instead of celebrating innovative solutions to ha- uh, uh, to human problem imagine uh, human problems imagine uh, being at a party and rather than being asked uh, what do you do which is basically a code for how much money do you make and what's your status <laughs> uh, you know we're, we're asked uh, what problems do you solve uh, both Capitalism and our society would be much better off. You're and right. This, yeah, and, and, and this, my friend, 
is inclusive capitalism. Oh, perfect. I think I think that's uh, that's probably the best definition I've ever heard. And and what it does is uh, very well said. Instead of what do you do? What problems do you solve for for the humanity, for 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 the nature? And and that's what creates a focus of every uh, individual on problem solving for the race. Um, great explanation of inclusive capitalism, Jr. Uh, um, I really appreciate. Uh, let me ask you this: How? What do you think? How can businesses play? a more effective kind of a role in creating a social impact beyond just making money. Uh, it's important to make money because that feeds into their activities to solving problems. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But how can they play a role in being more effective in their social impact? Okay, so let's let's take uh, what we've just uh, discovered together uh, about inclusive capitalism, about this idea of of creating and bringing about some kind of social impact uh, uh, based upon our our way to build solutions and 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 make them available to a broad part we have to we have to think about corporation strategies corporation strategies sel- seldom uh, consider business opportunities inside of unstable economies or, or, or indeed outside of anything but shareholder earned consider earning considerations uh, any any consideration of interaction with undeveloped countries is usually relegated to to uh, um, uh, a charity uh, marketing or uh, looking for sales opportunities. Let, and, and so let me let me come back at that uh, by quoting uh, um, somebody uh, that uh, this guy's uh, is, uh, is a, a CK. Parahalad, uh, and I believe that's how his last name is pronounced, Parahalad. Uh, he's the distinguished professor for corporate strategies at the uh, at the Stephen Roth uh, School of Business in the University of Michigan. But this this little thing that he uh, wrote just really struck me. He showed how the opportunity is in these uh, on, on these undeveloped markets for billion people live in poverty around the world representing five trillion dollars worth of purchasing power wow so you you really can't sneeze too much at that now this is evidence that the barriers to the low income market can be overcome with innovative solutions Uh uh-huh okay these these solutions are are not just opening the market for sales, but they're engaging local communities. Uh, and and uh, you know you you've known me for a while, and you, you're beginning to hear a recurring theme here: this sort of connection between worldwide markets and local communities. Many innovations that engage the poor have have come from players from outside of the mainstream in their industries. Microfinance, for example. Uh, originated with NGOs. So mo- mobile money was uh, developed primarily by by telecom companies. The the micro mortgage companies in India are 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 being launched by entrepreneurs and and firms with with very little or no experience in the housing finance uh, sector. Established commercial banks, on, on the other hand. Are usually saddled with legacy systems with 
uh, with fixed assets, with regulatory requirements, and, and occasionally, occasionally, mindsets that make it difficult for them to lead the innovative, innovative, innovative changes in the financial system uh, for the underserved. Instead of abandoning the opportunities at the bottom of the market, a, a second look might be in order. Uh, it is easy to recount the barriers uh, that are uh, to engagement uh, again and again, but there are some good examples uh, that point to the benefits uh, of workable solutions. Okay. Uh -huh. And so I'm going to I'm going to do that in a in a number of of ways. This isn't an inclusive list by any chance. These are just examples. Okay. And, and so uh, uh, let's start with let's start by looking at uh, uh, cash flow. Uh, consumer cash flow uh, is an issue that many companies overlook in their quest for uh, uh, reducing prices. You know, low income people are not just poor. Uh, they live in a state of uncertainty. Uh, researchers have found that many small farmers in Kenya, for example, don't buy fertilizer even though they're well aware of the, its benefits. Why don't they? Because they can't afford the 50 kilo bags that it comes in. Oh, so that's the smallest size you can buy there. Yeah, yeah. Which is like so, Western economy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so... Solutions include many things that you could do. You could repackage the offerings into smaller amounts and uh, using credit uh, when it's available to reduce upfront payments and maybe accept payments uh, in installments. Uh -huh. okay? Another thing, this whole idea of pay-per-use strategy, which allows those consumers to pay uh, for an asset uh, that is used without having to bear the full cost the full capital cost, okay? Like a service model, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And so so this, uh, uh, let's look at Mahout uh, Paprakhan Group, uh, one of India's uh, largest gold loan companies, all right? Uh, they're encouraging low-income consumers to make small daily payments toward the purchase of gold. And you know this better than I do, but uh, this uh, gold is characteristically used as a saving vehicle in 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 India. Oh yeah, okay? yeah, as a secure vehicle. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 pay per use strategy has been employed successfully in areas such as private primary education in and Ghana, uh, or or uh, um, irrigation pumps in India, or clean drinking water in in the Philippines. Okay, so mm -hmm. there there's a solution. Uh, another way to significantly reduce costs is to specialize and standardize. Specializing allows a company to sort of eliminate or minimize whole classes of expenditures while maintaining acceptable levels of quality. Example, um, LifeSpring, that's a joint venture for, uh, from the uh, nonprofit uh, Acumen Fund and an Indian public sector corporation, HLL, Life Care. Uh -huh. They operate a chain of 20-bed hospitals uh, for maternity and doctor-assisted childbirth and early pediatric care in southern India. All right? So let me tell you this. LifeSpring services cost 65 
to 80% less than private sector options. Wow, that's a big number. Yeah, examples are $90 for a vaginal delivery or $200 for a cesarean. I mean, they're almost unheard of anywhere. (laughs) Right. Okay, so there's another example. Let's let's look at let's look at demand. Confusing need with demand is a common problem among organizations serving the poor. Many many firms have wasted time and resources trying to market products that are designed for the poor, but consumers don't actually want. Researchers uh, working in micro with microfinance customers in rural India showed that that when given a choice between beneficial products such as solar-powered lanterns or low-energy stoves and aspirational products like mobile phones and gold coins, 80, get this, 85% of customers opted for the latter. Oh wow, okay. that's a that's a great statistics. And Jer, I know we are having uh, you're on the flow. You, you you are sharing lots and lots of good information. We need to take a short break now. We'll be back shortly. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand, twenty four seven. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We have with us JR discussing about the inclusive capitalism in global business. JR, you share a lot of great information, I'll put it this way. Uh, let's continue where we left in the last segment. Okay. Uh, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're talking about uh, ways for businesses to get innovative ways for businesses to get involved uh, in, in what may be considered uh, more risky markets. You know, Companies, uh, and we, we talked, we talked uh, about a number of ways, companies should focus on areas where they can admit existing demands, and, uh, uh, and that's sort of the way that we ended up the segment, that, that piece of it. I want to give you uh, an, another, one more example here before I start talking about uh, distribution. Um, uh, Safaricom, a, a hugely successful uh, in their their uh, M uh, campaign, for example, offered money transfers uh, by mobile phones in Africa, a 
3% at the cost of Western Union. Now, let's just, just think about that for a second. Wow. And we're talking about innovative, way, innovative ways of doing this. This isn't that you create something new, something different, but just a 33% uh, cost difference and a 20% uh, uh, cost difference and much greater security than the sort of the long-distance bus company, which really was the customary uh, provider of, of cash transfers. So one, I'm going to talk a little bit here about distribution. Although customers are, are numerous, as we've talked about at the beginning of the last segment, uh, they're often rural and scattered, and it's difficult for companies to uh, to manage sort of the face-to-face -face on a cash basis interaction uh, that are typically necessary to uh, for building in a cost-effective distribution system. Uh, Channels built for the middle class and high-income consumers, such as agent networks uh, for selling insurance, as an example, don't reach poor people, uh, even in urban areas, very well. And extending them uh, can be uh, prohibitively expensive. Uh, it's, it's not the cost of the initial sale, by, uh, but meeting the, the, the service warranties and the replacement parts that uh, can create such a black hole. Uh, some innovative companies have found ways to reach uh, low-income consumers through alternative channels that can provide additional value to customers. Some, some have teamed up with, with partners that have extensive uh, reach into the market. Uh, uh, the, the Hindustan uh, uh, Unilever uh, have uh, difficulty reaching low-income customers and educating them about their uh, Parrot water, uh, water filters. Uh, so it partnered up with, with microfinance institutions. And the, the loan officers in those, uh, those microfinance institutions aggregated the customers into groups and thereby reducing Unilever's cost of marketing and providing credit, making the product easier uh, to pay for. Okay? So uh, uh, one, one last one, and, and uh, 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 well, I'm, 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 I, might, I might have lied today there. I'm actually thinking I have two more that I want to do. One <laughs> is on, 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 on uh, ag aggregation right. of groups that, that can be very innovative in these markets. Uh, so, uh, let's take an example of small, agricult small agricultural suppliers. Uh, they, they rarely have access to high-quality resources. Or, or the credit to, to buy them. They, they often lack training. Uh, their, 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 their output is usually unreliable. Furthermore, uh, uh, companies that provide training or other benefits to these kinds of suppliers may find that resources have been uh, diverted elsewhere by side selling. They take, the, they take the trading that they did and actually do something else with it. Aggregating and assisting small producers through contract farming or other means has has been effective in surmounting the problem. Uh, Global Green, an arm of Avantha, four billion dollar uh, Indian company, uh, uh, provides small farmers with drip irrigation and the input inputs that they need to 
to grow Spanish gherkins, uh, uh, pickles. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They, they they train them in best practices. They they and and buy the product at a predetermined price that typically more than uh, doubles the farmer's incomes. Yeah, it helps uh, them yeah. see if they know their predetermined price is going to get sold. They can manage their cost side effect, and they know how exactly, much they're going to earn. Exactly, yeah. and and also and also they they can reduce their costs. Because the, the the company recruits farmers in clusters, okay, in 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 groups, uh, sets up regional processing centers where the gherkins can be clean sorted and packaged. You know, uh-huh. there, there. Uh, uh, another example, and I'm really not going to go into. Because I don't think we have time. Is you know, the Brazil gets about seventy five percent of their poultry uh, uh, by relying on contract farming in the country. Oh. I, and the last one I'm going to get to, the last one I'm going to get to is uh, ecosystems. Uh, uh, business ecosystems um, uh, need to support a product or service. Uh, they're, they're often, uh, are, are those kinds of things are often missing at the bottom of, of the market. Uh, so uh, the, 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 uh, you, you, you drill a well, you have a pump, the pump goes bad, where do you get the parts? Uh, you, 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 you have a rural entrepreneur that purchases a cow. Well, where does, where does she go to get veterinary services? Innovative companies address the holes in ecosystems by supplementing value chains from end to end. A mule, uh, AMUL, uh, an Indian uh, company that, uh, that buys milk from three million, uh, uh, dairy farmers, arranges for artificial insemination services uh, for uh, for their producers. Uh, you know, Coca-Cola uh, uh, manually, uh, their manual distribution centers uh, have been touted as an effective means of getting soft drinks into hard-to-reach urban areas in emerging markets. They, they, they did not just organize and recruit entrepreneurs to run these centers. But they, they filled the gaps from, from both ends. So, uh, and, and I understand I, I don't have much time here, but to, to be considered to be the cutting edge business, you must be willing to hang your feet over the cutting ledge. Okay? Uh-huh. All right? So, uh, my, my, my word here is that you need to dare to be innovative and do what works. Oh, that's phenomenal. And Jared, really appreciate that. You, you provided a lot of insight into the impact investing and how businesses can uh, fulfill their social responsibilities. And the examples you gave are phenomenal. They're, they're clear examples of how some of the business are very cleverly and very smartly uh, creating social benefits, helping people, although uh, it is helping them in running their business like Coca-Cola using manual labor to reach certain places, the fertilizer example you gave, the milk example you gave, it's a win-win for all. It's win-win for society. It's a win-win for the businesses. So there is a huge opportunity for businesses to have what you call the so-called double bottom line. Um, I just wanted to share before we close uh, some facts about uh, the impact investing. As per the Global Impact Investing Network, 2016 annual Impact Investor Survey Report, $15.2 billion was committed by 157 respondents to 
7,551 impact investments only in the year of 2015. Great number. And also, if you look at the Huffington Post, they covered it, uh, I think, in, 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 in past. Uh, they, they mentioned that JP Morgan and Global Impact Investing Network, they estimate the global impact investment market size is now more than $50 billion. And uh, if you look at between 1990 to 2010, the world population extreme poverty went down from 43% to 21, which is almost 1 billion people. And this was mainly driven by uh, the profit uh, making economic entities and they contributed to it. So JR, thank you so much. It was a great discussion. I think what you're going to do is we, this is a very important subject because it connects global business and the social responsibility, the people, the human beings. We will continue our discussion in our, uh, uh future episodes. I really appreciate, uh, uh your insights and uh, the enormous amount of knowledge you brought into it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management